Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. I actually just ran the San Francisco Half Marathon today, so feeling pretty sore and about to do some traveling. So, you know, it never stops with me. I have been playing a disgusting amount of Diablo 2 today. Uh, I put in about two hour, two and, two and a half hours of work, and then me and Hunter, my roommate, just played Diablo 2 for the whole rest of the day. So I kind of had the opposite day as you. Is that why we had to record so late, David? No, that's because our pizza that was getting delivered came right at that time, at the start time. <laughs> I literally turned to Hunter and was like, this is the kind of day that you dream about as a child when you're an adult, but then it never happens because you turn into an adult. <laughs> So today's episode is kind of a short one, but uh, my good friend at eCurrency Holder, Andrew Yang, uh, not the presidential candidate, he came onto the podcast and uh, he, he wanted to come on to talk about uh, Zcash mine, or dev funding and dev funding in general. Uh, there was a little bit of kind of technical issues with the internet during the recording, so apologize for uh, any weird parts that happened in the interview. But yeah, overall, pretty good, uh, pretty good interview. Yeah, this one was pretty timely, right in the wake of uh, the highly contentious EIP twenty twenty five, which uh, is basically skimming off the top a little bit of the Ethereum block rewards to be paid to Ethereum developer developers, which um, some developers are fans of, and almost everyone I know absolutely hates. Uh, and so it was a good time to talk about block reward funding and why everyone on this particular podcast, including Andrew, uh, is totally against the idea. Um, so without further ado, Andrew Yang. All right, everyone, I'm super excited to bring you my homie, E-Currency Hodler. Can I say your real name? Yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang, not for president. Yeah. Here. Well, you could vote for me if you want uh, UBI, so it's all good. <laughs> You're going to get everyone uh, $1,000 a month too? Yeah, just write me in, baby. It might be a little confusing if you write in Andrew Yang. Like, <laughs> <laughs> How are they going to know which one? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Do you like math too? Because Andrew Lang's an Asian guy that likes math. Uh that's his line. Oh, he does like math. Dude, math was actually one of my uh, oh, harder okay. well, that's, so that, that's yeah. how we'll differentiate between you two. The, the non-math Andrew Yang. <laughs> there it is. Word. Well, Andrew Yang, you tell us, what, what do you do other than run for president or not run for president? Yeah, uh, right now um, I work at Alta Financial. We are a Bitcoin startup and we haven't launched. We're hopefully going to be launching by the end of the year. It's going to be a Bitcoin brokerage. And we're gonna have Lightning Network support, which I'm super stoked about. Um, so it's gonna be really sick. And then um, I also volunteer at the Lightning Foundation as a partnership coordinator. We wanted to bring you on the podcast today to talk about something that's a little bit timely. There's a lot of talk about Dev rewards and Dev funding, stuff like Zcash, stuff like Decred, stuff like what some people in the Ethereum community want out of Ethereum. Um, I know David has a lot of uh, opinions on this. I know you have a lot of opinions on this. Where do you want to get us started? Yeah, okay. I guess that, like, I sort of, let's start off with the tweet, right? Um, 
So Ryan Selkis, uh, he asked this question on Twitter. Is there any functional difference between Zcash's funding from ECC and the Zcash Foundation and Bitcoin's funding from Chaincode, MIT, and Blockstream? Serious question. Me thinks the only real difference is that Zcash launched years after crypto's value was quote unquote discovered. Right. And then, um, you know, uh, just even introducing the concept and then just like the framing of the concept kind of, it kind of irks me. Okay. Because this concept and this topic has been discussed for years already. It's been put to dead. I uh, put to bed, I feel like already. And it's just interesting that he's framing it in such a way where as if it's like they're comparable, like, um, like having other companies um, fund the open source development of Bitcoin as opposed to um, skimming off Bitcoin or, you know, blockchain rewards from your coin and putting it into a dev fund, right? And then um, you have other people who are kind of like a little bit newer to the space who are incredibly smart and people who I actually really respect. And, um, and then they're getting in on this uh, line of thinking, right? And so like Hasu Fly, I think, I think he's amazing. I think he's super smart, really respect his intellect. But then I think because he is new, maybe he doesn't have like some of the history behind um, this discussion about founders rewards, right? And so there's this one guy on Twitter, um, like, I don't know, maybe you can kind of go into it, but the perspective is, is that like Zcash inflation is the same as Bitcoin. It's paid for all by all the Zcash holders in the form of lower hash rate. Uh, for Bitcoin, 21 million is your security uh, budget. Uh, Bitcoin spends 100% of it on its hash rate. Zcash, on the other hand, spends 90% on its hash rate and 10% on development. And then Hasu, you know, he sees this quote and he says, you know, this is the correct take. Uh, but the disclaimer is that mining is permissionless. Like the free market allocates block rewards perfectly to those who provide the most security. And um, the fund reward is permissioned. Not anyone can compete for it. Suboptimal application and rent seeking are possible. Right. And so Hasu, Hasu, because he is so smart, um, he sees that there is maybe uh, some conflict and that he, there, he admits that, you know, because it is permission, uh, there's like some rent seeking behaviors that can possibly come out of it. Right? And so, I don't know. Um, what, what are your guys' takes on, on dev funding? In my opinion, shaving off block rewards and giving it to a multi-sig or a pool of people that have control over that those those block rewards is akin to giving it to a central government of a blockchain and that's a unique use case of a blockchain as there are many but when, when it comes to creating a maximally global permissionless uh, public utility blockchain there's no role for that uh, and so that's why i vehemently oppose eip 2025 in, in ethereum and i actually think it's disgusting um it's a it's a totally misattribution of, of what a blockchain is, is supposed to be. Um, and I, I don't think it's anything short of the developers who are responsible for implementing EIPs from just raising their hands and saying, hey, let's let's pay ourselves a salary of $100,000. See, that right there is exactly the conflict of interest that is created through like the dev funds. You have people who are writing the code, who are maintaining the code, and they're the ones who are advocating and promoting keeping and extending in the case of Zcash of extending um, continued dev funding, right? Even though they all promised that it would end at a certain point in time. And so the fact that this situation even exists is, uh, yeah, like people who talked about this years in the past in the Bitcoin talk forums, they were right. I was gonna add on if any of you have actually read the sovereign individual 
the way that the book characterizes governments are services or countries that are run by their employees. And they really nail down that if the government was run by its customers, aka the citizens, it would look absolutely nothing like how it looks right now. It's purely run by its employees. Uh, and those employees are doing things to benefit themselves. Um, and I feel like these dev rewards create a similar type of incentive structure amongst these, you know, whoever is the recipient of that, whether they're supposed to maintain the software or not. Like, let's play the devil's advocate again, like just for a little bit. Like, why, what are the reasons for wanting a dev? So there, the, when Ether was down to $80, uh, Ethereum funding was almost non-existent. And so the case for block rewards as, as dev funds is like the last, and to me, it's the last line of defense. So if you have, if all development of your blockchain is going to stop and you have no other way to fund your developers, that's the time to implement block rewards. It's like it's like the, the nuclear option. It's like either this is going to work or it's going to blow us up, but we have to do it. That's the only time, that's the, the, the case I would see for, for block rewards to be justified. So what this suggests to me is that like you look at um, Zcash Foundation and you look at um, other uh, uh, blockchains who like kind of like maybe pre-mine, they have like a fund and um, the whole purpose of this was to create longevity in the space, right? And so the idea was you have this war chest, you have these debt funds to stimulate growth, to stimulate um, like, yeah, eco, uh, growth in the ecosystem. And by the time the funds run out, by the time, you know, that we've said the debt funds are going to be expired, by then we know for like the ecosystem should be so firmly established that we don't need it anymore, right? But the contention has always been like, well, how do you know? Like, how do you know for sure that people aren't going to get greedy? Like, how do you know that people aren't going to um, continually advocate to get paid for free, you know, to be doing their work, right? Um, like, there's no assurance and there's no guarantee, you know? And so it's kind of proof to me. And then you have Bitcoin on the other side, right? No dev fund, uh, no pre-mine, no, um, yeah, no fund to like basically uh, make sure that like Bitcoin development is continuously growing and developing but it's thriving, right? Like you look at, and the reason why it's thriving is because it has such um, entrenchment, like so many companies are building on top of it that they are incentivized to uh, maintain, that people are maintaining like its code and constantly improving it. And that's why you have things like uh, Bitcoin Optech and you have um, sponsorships of developers. And so like that to me makes sense. And that's how you can continuously make sure that like the currency stays decentralized because they're not coming from a centralized source. They're not coming from one person. They're coming from a wide variety of areas and it's, um, and they don't necessarily really get to have a say in what gets implemented in the code or anything like that. They're just sponsoring these people. Yeah, nothing could kill the Bitcoin value proposition faster than Bitcoin implementing a debt fund reward. Like that would just kill the, the whole purpose of it. And even, especially with blockchains that ICO'd, like Ethereum should be the last blockchain to, I mean, after Bitcoin to implement a, a dev fund reward because it ICO'd. You either ICO or you have block rewards, but you don't get to do both <laughs> because the ICO funds is the dev fund. And that's the thing that's guaranteed to that's run out, right? About. And so the, that, the ICO mechanism 
it's a great mechanism because it allows a lot of people entrance, but it also is this thing that like you don't ICO twice, right? And so it's a commitment that once those ICO funds that you raise dry out, that's the end of the dev fund. Um, whereas a block reward dev fund, uh, you know, we can just keep on forking that block reward back into it over and over and over again, even if we say that, okay, this will be the last time. It's like, it's like the US and raising the debt, debt ceiling, right? Like, is there really a debt ceiling in the United States of America? Because like, it keeps on going up and it really just seems to be that debt just doesn't really give a fuck about what the debt ceiling is. So I have a question for you, David. How do you feel about the way that the EF has managed its ICO fundraising? I, I've heard that there's been criticism and lack of transparency, um, but I haven't, I haven't really heard of an example of the EF funding something that was like bad. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, okay, so let's go back to the tweet real quick. Um, I got triggered, obviously. I'm very like uh, emotional about this. And let's say, let's go back to Ryan Sulkis's tweet, right? Like he asks, is there any functional difference between Zcash's funding from ECC and uh, Zcash funding and Bitcoin's funding of Chaincode, MIT, and Blockstream, right? That just like even the phrasing of that tweet to me just kind of almost is gaslighting a little bit. It like completely disregards like any of the issues that we've been talking about up to this point, right? And if anybody should know, it's Ryan. Like he's been in this space for years, right? And so, like, I'm not quite sure why he's framing it in such a way, but like the analogy that comes to my mind is like saying, look, there's a house that's built on quicksand, right? Um, and we know that the house is going to sink, but you know, it's super cheap. It's a five bedroom, three bath uh, house. Let's just go buy it anyways, right? Like that's how, to me, Ryan Salkis is like um, treating this discussion of like dev funding, right? It's so completely, uh, I would say, there's so many problems with this model, but uh, by framing it in this way, like he doesn't, he makes it seem as if there's no issue, no problem at all between, um, the way that Bitcoin developers are funded as opposed to Zcash. Do you study Decred at all? Yeah, I know um, it's like a ticketing system and then like they all vote uh, for like what projects to get sponsored and things. And then if you vote, you get rewards, right? So, I mean, are you triggered by their dev reward? So this is actually what I talked about when I got cut off. Oh, really? All right, like, do you want to speak on that? I'd love to hear your perspective. I think, I think the Decred uh, solution for a block reward funding mechanism is the only viable good solution. Um, and they, what they've done is they've skimmed off the top 10%, which is a pretty large number, off of the proof of work security, and then given it to a fund controlled by the proof of stakers. Um, and so it's a transference of, of power from proof of work to proof of stake, but it's not given to, um, well, actually, it currently is given to a multi-sig. So I guess the problem hasn't totally been solved yet. But in the ideal scenario that Decred figures out how to equally manage all funds generated by the block reward to equally to all proof of stakers, then I would say that this problem is solved because you're not we're not giving it to like developers like one through seven, right? We're giving it to the proof of stakers. Uh, and so the the problem of giving it to a central governing group of individuals is is gone because instead you're giving it to a decentralized network of stakeholders uh, who can democratically elect how to use these funds proportional to what their stake is. So that that makes sense to me. I think Decred doesn't have this this problem of on-chain funding that most other blockchains with on-chain funding do have. 
I feel like there's like two levels to that though, right? It's still centralized because like you said, uh, there's like a music that they got to pay out. So you still got to trust somebody, um, some group of people. Founders. The founders. Oh yeah, the founders uh, in order for to now. pay those out, right? And so um, like for something that's supposed to be a decentralized currency, like, I don't know, that doesn't, it's not very decentralized. They're migrating away from it. They are, okay. Yeah, it's in Decred 2.0 or whatever is is designed to have a permissionless open mechanism for managing the debt fund. Interesting. I'd love to kind of, I'll probably look into that and see how they are, um, how they plan to do that. That's pretty cool. But uh, on, on the other hand, though, anything that has to do with blockchain governance, I'm, I'm always skeptical of, right? Because what's to prevent somebody who just to buy a crap ton of Decred and then just use that to vote on stuff, whatever the stuff that they want to get implemented in? Right. So that's, that's an attack on Decred, right? And uh, me and Christian and our friend Max Bronstein was actually talking about this. And so if you want to attack Decred by fucking up the governance because it's a proof of stake network, therefore governed by the stakers, you have to buy a ton of Decred, like you said. But the price of Decred doesn't stay flat as you buy it, right? Because you are a massive buyer. You would have to buy like 20 to 30%. Right. So if you want to do that, you have to make all the other Decred currency holders rich in the process. And so you end up burning a lot of your capital and basically transferring your capital to the stakers. And even if you do manage to successfully attack the network, you burned a lot more capital than they did. And they had the chance to sell their Decred at market prices that were like probably at least four to five to 10 times as high as when they bought them. Yeah, that's assuming though that you have like somebody is inputting capital to acquire all that decred. Like this person could have quietly passively been um, uh, accumulating decred for years and he could have a large position without anybody even realizing it. And you wouldn't even know that it would be an attack on decred because it's there's no way to prove that one person holds all the votes that are coming towards a specific protocol or not, right? And so it just brings up this idea of like blockchain government, like governance on the blockchain, just like to me, it's really difficult. It's it's not a problem that I think has been solved right now. Um, and I don't know, it's, it's just really hard. In that, in that scenario that you gave, where this guy is a guy or gal is participating in like, maybe he's a miner for Decred and he's accumulating Decred that way, or he's slowly buying over a large amount of time. And then he sets up a bunch of individual um, voting nodes. I don't know how it works, but like votes in a way where his votes are distributed. So it doesn't look like an attack. Well, then you're kind of getting into a subjective argument as to what an actual attack looks like, because this guy has been, a guy or gal has been adding to the security of Decred. He's been voting in proposals. He is doing all the normal things. And so it's really just a subjective uh, criticism as to, I don't like this proposal. I think it's an attack. And he or she and other people might be like, no, you're an attack. I like this proposal. I want to also vote for it. So it's really a subjective argument as to what's an attack and what's not. But then the point is that it could potentially be one person who's dominating, controlling the overall direction of the protocol, which is problematic, which goes back to the discussion of it being centralized. Yeah, I mean, the, I feel like the general rebuttal from people who believe in proof of stake is that skin in the game, why would they kill the golden goose? That's the same reason why miners aren't going to play mm -hmm. short term games. Right. So, uh, I mean, ultimately, you can only be tested and actually see if it actually works. Um, I think that the biggest flaw with Decred is that it was launched on day one as being a hybrid proof of stake, proof of work system, 
with a dev reward and a lot of these guys mining early and they knew that the holding on to the funds were going to equal control in the proof of stake system. Yeah. So like that I think is the biggest crux is that, you know, you are trusting this core group that launched this thing that knew it was going to be valuable. Whereas at least with Bitcoin, knew, no one knew it was valuable. Therefore that UTXO set is a lot more pure. Um, even- and I guess, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I think that has, uh, that has a waterfall effect over, you know, many other facets of the of how the system is implemented but but even like let's say oh like why would you attack your own network it doesn't even have to be framed that way if you think about uh the bitcoin cash or even segwit 2x and with bitcoin both parties truly believe like there was their path was like oh we want to go this way like we think ours is the best solution right well if you have all these corporations uh even exchanges who have who own all this decred it doesn't matter even if you are just like a passive owner or like um, you're voting in with your small amount of decred. It doesn't matter because all these exchanges now have the decred to vote whatever the hell they want. They can do like a Segwit2x um, upgrade. You're you're pretty much screwed. Like you're stuck. Yeah. And so it, it's 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 almost like disempowering. But I will say like right now it is probably one of the best versions of blockchain version uh, governance that I've seen, and it works right now because the community is like pretty small. I think once it gets really popular or it gets really huge they're going to see a lot of problems and it may not go well. I would agree. Um, I, in, instead of the version of Decred that we have today, to Christian's point, I would have liked to have seen a Decred that started off as proof of work for like two years and then implemented their proof of stake layer on top of that. I think you can definitely kill uh, a blockchain, a proof of stake blockchain in the long term by going to proof of, uh, of stake too soon. Um, because then, then all these people are incentivized to hold because they know that they have the power. Um, that's the value of, of, that's why I actually really like that Ethereum will be five years of proof of work, five years of, of Ether entropy and diffusion. Um, add, and, and that will just add a layer of decentralized control for the stakers um, because it's gone through just this five year proof of work period that's diffused all the funds. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to briefly go back to like, um, let's say the, Dev funding. Um, one of the problems of dev funding is like, okay, so the tweet that we talked about before with Ryan Selkish and Hasufly, like they they frame it in such they frame it in the context of hash rate difficulty and securing the hash rate difficulty, and um, I get that right. But and and I actually think it's accurate, like um, what they're saying. But the problem is like true root of the problem is like the politics behind. Um, creating a debt fund, right? Like the question goes to who gets to decide what projects gets to get funded, like who gets to decide where the money gets goes to. And then there's this concept of like the foundation even becoming a legal liability, right? If they get sued, um, do the debt funds that they've reserved for developing of the, you know, of, of deving, like does that then get um, sent to helping support fight against the, the defamation suits or whatever that they're facing, right? And so, um, to me, it just it just doesn't make sense. Something else to consider as well, and this is something, an idea from the book, The Wealth of Networks, but it's this idea of like, let's all be honest, like you get paid to work 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Some people actually work more than 40 hours a week, but I feel like most people, if you like track their time, do not hit 40 hours a week, right? Like, I mean, I, I think that's just a, a reality. Um, so just because you're getting paid to do something, 
doesn't mean that you're doing it extremely effectively. But if you are curiously donating your time and volunteering to do something, donating your spare time out of what other outside influence, like usually you're spending 100% of your energy doing that one thing. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a level of quality that comes with just completely voluntary and not necessarily financial based work. And that's something that uh, something like Bitcoin captures incredibly well. And I feel like this idea that you need to pay people to work on something for it to get built is actually not even accurate or optimal. I feel like uh, some people might counter with this idea of, you know, the tragedy of the commons, right? And I think Bitcoin is like the prime example of how the tragedy of the commons isn't true. Because it is like, okay, so for those who don't know, the tragedy... Oh, the tragedy of the commons isn't true? Yeah. like uh, That's actually shocking to me because I always assumed that it is true. Although I find that Bitcoin is the anti-tragedy of the commons because, I mean, obviously the game theory, but I don't know if that's a fact that the tragedy of the commons is not true at all. Yeah, well, uh, like I can send you like this article and then um, basically it just started with this dude who um, kind of hypothesized the situation of the blockchain of the called the tragedy of the commons. And then it just got super popularized. Uh, but there was an actual like research behind it. Um, but for those who don't, people who don't know, tragedy of the commons is basically like, uh, it's like the story of like a plot of land um, that people all like share, like community all shares together. And like um, they everyone shares like the same, they send their cattle there to graze the grass and to eat. And um, it's like a community uh, plot that uh, that everyone is involved in taking care of, but no one actually owns and no one actually like uh, financially benefits from. And so uh, that what the author is suggesting is that like this plot of land is uh, eventually people are going to get selfish. People are going to get lazy. People are just going to um, not take care of it and it's just going to die and disappear. And so, um, that's what the tragedy of the commons is. But well, not only that, but these those same people are also incentivized to actually make that plot of land worse because they want their cattle to go eat all the grass as fast as possible before other farmers allow their cattle to do the same. So it's actually a race to fuck up the land because if you don't do it, then you're you're gonna miss out because somebody else is gonna do it before you. And the beautiful thing is that like when you hear that story, like I think because we all know that we're like this like selfishness inside of us, like we're like, yes, that totally makes sense, right? But that whole concept and that whole article that this person wrote like was uh, based on nothing, uh, no evidence. And so it's just kind of interesting. And like Christian was saying, Bitcoin is the antithesis of this. If, if there's ever a, a beautiful gold standard for like um, the tragedy of the commons not being true, it's Bitcoin. Do you want to explain that a little bit more? Because, uh, you know, nobody owns Bitcoin. Nobody controls Bitcoin. Um, you know, people are, you know, uh, like everybody who is building on top of Bitcoin. Um, but you have to pay to use Bitcoin. You have to pay to use uh, Bitcoin. And that contributes to the hash rate uh, difficulty, sure, uh, to the miners and all that stuff. But it is something that, like, nobody owns, right? It's not. Um, centralized it's not like there's not one single person where you would financially benefit from um, trying to control it or whatever right and so like the whole funding process of bitcoin and the development of bitcoin how it works is because it has such a wide like there's so many stakeholders 
in Bitcoin working together um, to try to make it succeed, but not in a way where there's like one person calling the shots every single time. And so that to me is like the beauty of like Bitcoin. I agree. I mean, I feel like there's probably a lot of people that would disagree with that framing, but I agree. I think that's, I think that's accurate. David. I have nothing else to add. Is Bitcoin decentralized? Uh, is decentralization black and white? According to Jimmy Song, it's black and white. Oh man, but Jimmy kind of grinds my gears. I, I, there's everything is nuanced, so I don't, I just don't buy into the black and whiters. Yeah, I guess we would have to like define uh, decentralization. I will say there's like good arguments on for both sides. Like one of them, you know, we can look at the hash rate. Uh, it was pretty like centralized, like maybe a year ago with like uh, thirty like only like three or four pools or groups of people having a majority of the hash rate. If there's ever evidence, you know, there was like that Bitcoin bug that happened in like 2018, like towards the end. And then like how fast it was disclosed and how fast like the miners upgraded their software. I don't think to me personally, like I've heard of people saying that as an, as evidence of like how centralized Bitcoin is, but to me, like it's not, it's just, uh it's just evidence of like how serious the bug was it's evidence of like how serious people want to protect the value of bitcoin and so that's why everybody who got um who got notified of it like upgraded it so fast but that wasn't a hard fork right it was not i mean there there may have been calls for a hard fork if someone exploited an inflation bug that would have been extremely interesting yeah what would you have wanted christian would you have wanted the rollback or you would you have kept the extra bitcoin uh probably kept the extra bitcoins what if it was like a lot? What if it was like another 21 million? Oh man, uh, I mean, it hasn't happened. So uh, there's a couple of stories of uh, Bitcoin of Bitcoin nodes, like just people's Bitcoin nodes catching fake blocks that are trying to pro uh, propagate through the network and get get caught red-handed. So that's pretty badass. And here's that's I mean I, I know I think it's time to to wrap this up, but this is an interesting point of benefits of not doing hard forks and having old nodes. Because even if this bug was in place, only the new nodes were affected and old mm -hmm. nodes would have rejected that. Um, so if there was gonna be some sort of a like quote unquote uh, rollback, you could just refer to the old nodes that were rejecting the bug. So uh, I do think that there's a lot of nuance to uh, something that, you know, kind of has this purely, you know, never breaks consensus type model. Again, it's uh, there's the nuances. But Andrew, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. What do you want people like? Who do you want to hear from? Where can people find you? All that good stuff. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at eCurrencyHodler. And yeah, just, you know, my DMs are open. If you ever want to chat, hit me up. And check out alto.financial.com. Or no, alto.financial.com. No.com. <laughs> awesome. And you can find the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. David? You can find me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. It's a fool, then it's a fool, you to decide.